Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? Very fine. I am uh, waiting for my vaccination any moment, only six more months, maybe eight, maybe next year. I'm not sure. But uh, I heard uh, you're getting yours this afternoon. I'm getting mine this afternoon, yes. Um, I, I Since I have asthma, mild asthma, it's not too serious, I'm in the next priority group of people over 65, which I'm not, and people with medical conditions, which I am. Uh, I, I am uh, only a youthful 60. I guess I'm in reasonably good health, even though I have had asthma, but not for many years. I had cancer a few years ago, but I'm doing better. Unfortunately, I'm in good health, so I have to wait. <laughs> yeah. So so they, they did it here in the UK by age group, by over 80, then over 70. And now this is the third group. And they're hoping to get everyone over 50 by, I'm not sure, by the summer. Um, but it, the, the UK is actually probably one of the most advanced countries in terms of vaccination. Uh, I know Israel's done a lot better, but um, the UK, if I understand correctly, ordered 300 million doses of various vaccines, assuming that not all of them would work so that they'd be covered. And they funded this AstraZeneca vaccine that was researched in Oxford University. Um, so the UK was actually the first country to approve any vaccine and start using it. Well, the Japanese took a different tack. They were worried that the vaccine would apply to everyone in the world except the Japanese. They did not approve it until yesterday, and they're not starting until Wednesday because they had to do special tests to make sure it applied to Japanese people. And they found out, yes, it does. It seems to apply to them just as much as anybody. <laughs> so we're starting this Wednesday. But of course, the doctors and nurses and other health care workers on the front lines, they go first. Yes. Uh, not so much here in, entirely. I, I think the first choice here was, uh, since most of the deaths were very old people, like people in nursing homes, uh, they wanted to get them protected first, particularly not to take up all the hospital beds. And now that they've cleared them out and hospital beds will become available, then they can start doing all the other operations that they haven't done for a year. But when you think about it, isn't science wonderful? Oh, science is wonderful. As a matter of fact, I just today heard a podcast from a wonderful American show called This American Life about some of the young scientists who did work early on in this to figure out how to do this COVID, what they call coronavirus-style vaccine. And if it wasn't for these young scientists who nobody listened to for years, they could not have done this vaccine as quickly as they did. Really, a lot of the work was already done, you see. Now, you know, I don't usually comment on COVID science because uh, mostly because there's so much conflicting information out there, and I have absolutely no qualifications in medicine at all to say what's good. But this report was impressive. You know, the developments we have today are due to people who just had an idea and kept slogging at it for years. And now, 
We're the beneficiaries. I remember at the beginning of this uh, reading an article that, uh, as as you say, there had been work on vaccines for coronaviruses. It's a family of virus. This is not just the only coronavirus. And in particular, a lot of work on it because one such virus affects chickens. And, you know, chickens are like the, the animals that are the most raised in the world. And so, as you say, for years they'd been working on this and they developed something, but they hadn't yet tried to do it with a real virus. So the timing was really fortuitous. Well, we apparently are the benefits of the first test vaccines that were done on the Chinese hamster embryo. So okay. let us take a moment to say thank you for Chinese hamsters and all the embryos from Chinese hamsters that uh, gave themselves so that we may benefit. Apparently. Uh, this was uh, a bunch of guys who tried this thing and that thing and the other thing until they found what worked. And that's what science is all about. That oddly sounds familiar, the idea of trying this thing and that thing and the other thing until they find what works. That's what science does, and they have high standards of testing to see what actually produces results. And supposedly, the Buddha and many of the Zen masters were also scientists, scientists of the mind who tried this and tried that until they saw what worked. And there's a little truth in that. I think we're not quite scientists because we also claim a lot of things on feeling and rumor and uh, what is handed down in old books. So no, I don't think Buddhism is really a science, but the principle should remain in Zazen meditation and other practices. You try it, if it works, then it's good. This said, in Zazen, we're not trying to achieve anything. When we're sitting Zazen, we're not trying to make it work, right? Well, that's really good, first off, because Zazen is not going to do a darn thing for your coronavirus. It doesn't prove... <laughs> I, so I heard, I, early on, I read, you know, uh, papers that uh, it has certain effects on the, uh, on the body where immunity is increased. Yeah, but it's, it's very indirect and mild. The most that Zazen is going to do with you is let you accept your coronavirus. So as you're wheezing and sneezing, and uh, hopefully uh, as they don't wheel you into the hospital, you can at least accept it through your Zen practice. But it's not going to do a darn thing for you to prevent it, which is why we should be grateful for these vaccines. And for masks. And for masks. Especially yes. if you're in a Zen monastery sitting Zazen, wear a mask. I haven't heard if in the Zen monastery they're they're putting up plastic sheeting between the zafus. You know, they're quite close together where you sit. Yeah, I don't think that helps much because if it's in the air, it's going to go above. They would have to like put a cone of silence on top of each person sitting. But at least I hope they're wearing masks when they're sitting in monasteries. Here in Japan, they put, you know, plastic sheeting on, you know, pretending that it actually does something. And it, it really doesn't. I'm sure it has some minor effect. But what they've done in a lot of monasteries, I heard, is close the doors, which is what monasteries are really good at. Yeah. They they let all the monks stay in, and they said, don't go outside. And that seems to have worked. Unfortunately, you can't uh, visit as a, as a tourist now, many places. But uh, I haven't heard of cases of a serious outbreak in a monastery. So I guess they know what they're doing. Yeah, it makes sense. They're, they're calling that bubbles here, where people are staying together, and they're not mixing with other people. 
Well, you know, some people have written me the last few months and they've said, do you have a special chant I can do to keep me healthy? Or is there a charm I can get? Uh, perhaps, perhaps if I, if I do a certain kind of uh, meditation, I can keep the virus away. And I've told them, no, are you crazy? I don't have any such thing and don't believe it. There's no charm. There's nothing I can sell you. There's no chance you can do that's going to keep this nasty virus away. It may make you feel better about it. It may improve your mood. And like I said, that might have some indirect effect. But if you meet any kind of Buddhist or other spiritual master who claims that he's got the secret for this, a secret handshake or a secret uh, you know, formula or a spell he can do, do me a favor. Put your mask on and distance yourself from that guy. <laughs> and here I was hoping that we would be able to, to tell our podcast listeners the super secret anti-COVID Zen mantra. No, it reminds me there's another mantra that they do in uh, all the Zen temples every morning to keep the place from burning down, you know, to prevent fires. And they work pretty good until the next fire because they've all burned <laughs> down all the time. So what I'm saying to you is, uh, follow Dr. Fauci and the other good doctors. Don't follow any spiritual advice about how to keep the coronavirus away. Nothing works except the same as anybody else. But I understand that people, since they don't understand what's going on, this is really complicated, you know, viruses and molecular biology, that they're tempted to look for other answers and other solutions, looking for easy answers and easy solutions rather than something complicated like, you know, like what this virus is. Well, part of religion's job is to make people feel better but by providing them with easy answers. And uh, sometimes even I'm guilty of that. I have to to say, I had uh, someone come to me and say that their uh, their dog died and they were really attached to it. And did I think that the dog was going to go to dog he heaven, or we say the pure land? Do they let pets in the pure land here? And, uh, you know, I, I had never thought of it. So I was going to look in the sutras, you know, see if there was a special clause. Do they let pets in, in the pure land with their... I, it, I didn't even... It made her feel better. I said, yes, yes. <laughs> Your dog will be there and she's waiting for you. And she, she's, there's a whole pet area there. And the great thing about pets in the pure land, you don't have to walk them. Ah, good point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all taken care of. But if anybody comes to you and says they have a magic cure for COVID, no, we owe it to science. And Buddhism is not science. Well, if Buddhism is not science, then what is it? It is um, a religion, like any other religion, that has certain fantastic beliefs. It has certain beliefs that can, I feel, be harmonized with our modern scientific beliefs. But a lot of this, you know, comes from the 19th and 20th centuries when the Asian and Western convert Buddhists and the Asian Buddhists who were trying to modernize bent over backwards to say that unlike Christianity, Buddhism is a scientific religion and it's called Buddhist modernism. And unfortunately, no. If you actually look, Buddhism is as wacko and crazy and wild as any religion. Okay? <laughs> it's got all kinds of wild claims. But, but, before we get people tuning out completely here, but there's a lot within our practice that can be harmonized with science and modern beliefs. And that's important to remember. I think it's also important to make the difference between 
let's say, the original Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, which are all very, very different. No. While Zen still no. relies on... No? No. If you go back in the old sutras, if you go back in the traditional Zen sutras, if you go in the Tibetan books, of course, all well, some wild stuff in there. Claims about how the world worked, because people didn't know. You know, uh, people didn't know how things work. Now, I was just reading about the Buddha's physician. Did you know the Buddha had a doctor? I guess that would make sense. He probably got sick from time to time and was probably smart enough to address someone who knew more than him about about his health. Of course, he was a VIP. He had a whole entourage. He had, you know, he had his PR guy. He had his accountant. No, I'm just kidding about that. I don't know. Maybe he did have an accountant. Someone had to do the <laughs> books in the old Sangha. But at least he had a physician whose name was Jivaka. Jivaka, because the, 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 the Buddha had a lot of complaints. He had stomach problems and back problems. Every once in a while, he was on call. He did house calls, or I guess uh, hut calls, or whatever they did back then. Hut calls, yes. But Javaka is actually attributed with some amazing work for back in Iron Age India. For example, may I quote here? He uh, healed the uh, misplacement of intestines through the first laparotomy. That's where they go in, you know, into the stomach, uh, through like a tube or something. He did a trepanning, 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 uh, removing an intracranial... Trepanning, I think. Yes. Uh, he removed an intracranial mass and performed nose surgery. Uh, the Buddha, it's a little, the Buddha's uh, cousin had a nose job. It's a little, no, I'm just kidding. But he had, he did <laughs> nose surgery. He healed uh, various uh, diseases of the head. And he may have used some kind of uh, anesthesia for a cesarean section. So it well, it would be a Javankian se section because it was named after Caesar, who was much later than the Buddha. Yes, and hopefully it was, was nobody in the Sangha because they were all celibate. So I, I imagine it was outside. Good but, point. Yes. But uh, uh, anyway, the the uh, the Buddha had a physician because people got sick back then. But I'm going to tell you one good thing, as opposed to Iron Age India, our doctors I think are a little better. Not, not to say put Jivaka down, he was working with what he had. But, uh, you know, I don't think they had the COVID vaccine. That's for sure. No, no, they certainly didn't. But medicine back then wasn't really considered to be a science, was it? It was more of a, a doctor was more of a healer. Now, this guy sounds like he knew his way around scalpels and things, but um, it was more like a shaman, like a healer who would do a dance or give you some herbs to eat or something rather than actually being aware of what he was doing to cure people. One of the things about Buddhism is we worship the ancient, as if the old people were wiser than we are today. Today, many people feel we are lost. We have lost our ancient uh, ways and wisdom that the if you want real healing, you have to go back to the way things were in uh, ancient Tibet or China. And it's not true. It's not true. We do some things, we just face it, we do some things today that were simply impossible even 50 years ago, and it would appear if uh, to the people of old as wizardry. I've, I've said this before, the scientists and healers we have today do things that only wizards and magicians of the past could have laid claim to. 
But even more, and, you know, we're talking about vaccine, we think about uh, how polio has been essentially eradicated uh, because of a vaccine. And so uh, vaccination is, is an issue. A lot of people are afraid, and there's all these conspiracy theories about vaccines. What's interesting is you and I are old enough to remember having the polio vaccine, right? The doctor put a little drop of something on a sugar cube and had you eat it when you were young. You remember that? Yeah. Yep, I do. And and we're old enough to remember seeing people with leg braces and people with polio. Now, some people in my family, many, many decades later, no one sees that. And so they don't realize the power of vaccines. Well, we will see it again if we uh, don't get our act together. I'm surprised the number of people in the medical profession who are holding off on getting this vaccine. I'm sorry if we're going to get cards and letters from the anti-vaxxer crowd. I'm sorry. But uh, this is a good thing. And, uh, you know, it may not be natural, but uh, sometimes nature is our enemy. The virus is the natural one. You want that? Have at it. But I'm going to say, take your vaccination. And no, no, no one is putting secret uh, microchips in your body to track you. Don't worry about it. Uh, what, what I like is these anti-vaxxers. They're talking about people putting, you know, nanoparticles in their bodies to track them. And they're sharing all this on their little pocket computers that are tracking them everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you should mention uh, our sponsor tonight, Microsoft, is... Uh... Yes, Microsoft is sponsoring this episode and the Bill Gates Foundation <laughs> and many other... <laughs> what, what you said about um, hesitancy among healthcare workers, that really surprises me. Uh, when when we had the last breakout, I think it was the H1N1, this maybe 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, I knew a physiotherapist and he forwarded me an email that he got that was telling him that it was, I don't know, Bill Gates or someone else who had just built a vaccine factory someplace. What a coincidence that this thing is breaking out. You think it's unnatural, but what could be more natural than human animals using their knowledge to create something to save people? Well, Bill Gates was creating a vaccine factory to make vaccines to save life. Now, you know, the Bill Gates story, let's face it, he was not a very popular guy, and he decided to improve his image. He was going to go out and do things to be charitable. And, you know, and he did. And I got to hand it to him. He has spent a lot of money to do some very good things in the world. I am sure I will stake my life on it, literally in this case that he is not up to any no good here. Uh, Some discoveries really make us better, and this is one. Now, there is nothing in Buddhism against taking your vaccine. Take your vaccine and then go sit zazen. So if the vaccine is derived from, you said Chinese hamsters, but I've also heard uh, a line of stem cells from aborted fetuses and a Buddhist practitioners of vegetarian. Yeah. Can they actually twist this around enough to make it sound like this is something they shouldn't do? I actually think this has come up before on the podcast. And it's there are some folks who say they are such strict vegetarians that they do not want any vaccine or other medicine that comes from animal testing. Japan, where I live, is a Buddhist country. And what they do is they use animals for certain kinds of medical testing. Unfortunately, they also use it for cosmetics, which is a completely different story because that's a luxury good. But for medical testing, what they do is they use the animals 
And then they have a ceremony once a year to say thank you and to give a, a, a chant for their spirit, if you would. All right? And that's what I believe. Uh, I'm sorry to say that if it means a choice between a thousand human beings or 10,000 guinea pigs, they don't actually use guinea pigs. I found out recently <laughs> they use mice and other things. But the, you, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm going to uh, say that uh, I'll take the people. And I believe that even as a Buddhist, uh, human beings deserve protecting. And animals, if we use them for testing, well, if you're a traditional Buddhist, believe that, uh, well, they'll come back as something better. Maybe they'll come back as uh, doctors. That's a good point. You see, in Western countries, we don't have that idea. Not, not that we're necessarily saying that this is true, the whole reincarnation thing, because the jury's out, right? But in Western countries, we don't have this idea. An animal's used for a test. They die and they're gone. Whereas in Eastern countries, Japan, maybe China, they have this attitude of this cycle of life that the animal will actually unintentionally be giving its life and will gain more merit and will return in a better state. Is that correct? Well, yeah, that's, that's the belief too. And, uh, you know, but I got another concern about the vaccine that's more uh, social political than uh, Buddhist. May I raise this? Sure. Do I have the right, as a person living in a Western country that uh, is pretty prosperous, to get this vaccine ahead of people in developing countries that may be older or sicker and have maybe more of a claim to it, but are having great difficulty in getting this vaccine? This is actually causing me more concern than anything else. So, for example, you're getting yours today. And I, I think it's wonderful. You have asthma, and I think that is uh, you deserve it. But there are people in uh, places, let's say in Africa, who also have asthma and maybe your age or older. Should you wait until they get theirs? What do you think? It's a complicated question. And one of the things to consider is the more cases there are of a virus like this, the more it's going to mutate. Now, you may be aware that there's a, a, a mutation that came from England that is that spreads more than the original virus and spreading around the world. So if everyone in England had been vaccinated, mm. maybe this mutation wouldn't have occurred. There's also a South African mutation, and there are a few others. So one of the things about vaccines, it's not only healing people, but it's healing a society to prevent the virus from mutating and spreading in a more dangerous form. Now, if you look around the whole world, there's no way that you can vaccinate everyone. So if, if let's say that there was a world government, you would want to give the vaccine first to the country where there are the most cases in order to prevent the mutations. Because people are going to die no matter what. Mm. A certain percentage of people are going to die. But the more you can prevent the mutations, the more you can prevent the virus from getting worse. And I, I think that's right. And I think also that those of us who are living in these countries, we can only do so much at this point to fight the system. So even if it's wrong, that is something that unfortunately is endemic in the, the whole world system at this point where some people have money and some people don't, and some people have housing, some people don't, some people have access to medical care and some people don't. And I think it's wrong. And someday we have to do something to fix this. But in the meantime, as one person in America or Japan or the UK, if the doctor tells me to get my shot, I'm going to go get my shot because I can't. 
I'm not going to protest or change the whole system at this point. So I'm going to put aside my concerns. And when my turn comes, I'm going to get my shot. Though I really think everybody should get their shot at, you know, with, on an equal plane. So here in the UK, the government ordered 300 million doses of vaccines very early on. This is for a population of around 60 million. So we need 120 million to vaccinate everyone with two doses. Mm. Um, the reason they did this is they didn't think that all these vaccines were going to work. So 100 million here, 50 million there. If the second one didn't work, it didn't matter. That order was never going to be fulfilled. But what may happen, since all the vaccines seem to be working very well, is that the UK will have more doses of vaccines than it needs. What worries me about this is vaccine diplomacy, where they choose specific countries to send the extra vaccines for one reason or another, rather than, let's say, giving them, I think there's a, a group called COVAX, which is a, a UN-run worldwide thing to organize vaccinations. Rather than giving them to this group, they might choose to give them to a country they want to favor. And does Brexit come into this? Like, you don't send it to Europe until they send you, they buy your fish, something like this? is. Oh, you have no idea how complicated this was. A couple of weeks ago, where the EU made a whole stink that the UK was stealing vaccine doses from the EU and had to give the EU vaccines, this almost got into a, a major diplomatic kerfuffle. Um, so yes, Brexit has complicated things a little bit. Let's just hope that they do work out a system here where everyone eventually gets what they need. Now, I was hearing now again i'm not a doctor i the the closest i've ever come uh to being a doctor is i have watched many uh tv shows some binging <laughs> uh on uh, tv with uh, that are medical stories er i went through several seasons of that but anyway we're, that was back last week but uh you know uh, what i hear is we're going to have to get uh the shot maybe every year because yeah. it's actually going to turn into different kinds of boosters because of these uh, different variations yeah so this may become a regular thing it might. And maybe what would happen over time, if everyone gets the vaccination, then maybe it won't mutate anymore. But it's uh, one of the problems is people are saying it's like the flu, right? Remember this from the beginning? Yeah. Um, it's much more serious than the flu, but it may spread the same way the flu does in a cyclical pattern every year. It's worth pointing out, and I'm pretty sure that you've had this in Japan, that there has pretty much been no flu this year because people are wearing masks, washing their hands, and keeping distant. And these practices, I find it really interesting that I believe um, there were 10,000 flu deaths in the UK last year. It was an awful lot, and there's something like 100 this year. I, I've been wondering if in the future it'll be normal for people, let's say older and, and, and people with health conditions, to wear masks in Western countries, something that's not uncommon in, in Asia. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it is uh, very common here. People wear them all the time. Uh, but uh, I, I just hope I can come out of my house again within the next few years. Do you think I'll ever be able to get out of here? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the one, the one thing I wonder is, will I ever be able to go back to the theater? Because I'm sure I've mentioned I live right next to Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare's hometown, where we have two wonderful theaters. And that's the one thing I miss most. Well, the, the old uh, attitude in Shakespeare's time, I think, was a good one, which is uh, you go to the theater, you enjoy it, you catch something, you go home, and uh, you die. Someone else takes your seat next week. So it was, a, you know, that's how <laughs> it works. But uh, these days, you know, we, we expect to live longer than people in the past. And 
and I certainly would like to. Uh, but uh, I, this lifestyle is uh, getting hard. I would like to go back to the to the old days of being able to go to the gym and give somebody a hug. And well, I I, I never was much for shaking hands. For it. We, we can can we we let's get past that. We don't need to shake hands anymore. All right. I'm not sure about the the elbow bumps, but uh, you know the gasho, the press palms together. That's a that's a nice. One. But uh, certain things I want to get back to doing. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I know where you're going to go for your vaccination. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.